and I love being in this church. This is a powerful church. How many of you love your church? Amen. We do travel a lot, and I think I said it last time I was here. You guys may not realize how good you've got it. Amen. Give honor to Bishop Goins and Sister Goins. We've been praying for you all along this journey. And God is faithful. Amen. Pastor Goins, Sister Goins, just want you to know your pastor and pastor's wife helped us in a landmark occasion in the state of Hawaii back in the month of May. There was a crusade on an island that is the moniker of this island is the most Hawaiian island. They don't really receive outsiders very well. It's a island that's quite closed down to the Hawaiian people. And as a result, we don't have an apostolic presence there. We've never had a crusade there. However, the doors just, it's our time, you guys. It's time for revival. The doors began opening and the first person I called was Pastor Goins. I said, we got a breakthrough that needs to happen on a, a very traditional Hawaiian island. Are you ready to go? He said, we're ready. And so it's, it's not like you think the other Hawaiian islands. I think they have one hotel. <laughs> they might have one or two stoplights. You don't go there for what you think Hawaii is for. But I'm telling you, we had a move of God. There were miracle after miracle, people getting the Holy Ghost, and I just want to thank you for allowing your pastor and sending them to go for that crusade. Amen. Praise God. And as a result, now that same church is on another island as we speak, and there is another crusade at the end of this month. Amen. I'm going to take you to the Word of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 16. 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? What a remarkable thing that is. Amen. We are the temple of God. For the next few moments, I just want to preach to you carrying what carries you. Carrying what carries you. Amen. Let's all pray. Lord, God, we thank you for your very obvious presence in this place. God, we ask that you would just lead us on a journey. God, to discovery of more of you. God, we ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody say, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Amen. When we think of carrying the Spirit of God in this world, the first example biblically was the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was a symbol of God's presence among the Israelites, a visual reminder that the one true God had made a covenant with these people. It was so important to God that he commanded the ark's construction before he gave any instructions of other sacred 
objects. This was the first. If you consider the Ark of the Covenant down in the bottom of the box, and the word Ark in Hebrew literally is translated box. If you look down in the bottom of this box, it was the law, the tablets of the law that God gave Moses. It was written on stone. There was a bowl of manna, which was the miraculous food that fell from heaven. And then there was a section of Aaron's rod that budded. But then above this, there was the mercy seat. And literally welded to it were twin angels that were made of hammered gold. It was one solid piece of gold. The angels were made one with the mercy seat. They were facing one another, but they were not looking at one another. They were looking down at the mercy seat. Their wings are spread out to cover that mercy seat. And the children of Israel, while in Goshen, before this ark was constructed, you would say, we're probably just a few steps above the pagan people of Egypt. There, there, there really wasn't much difference. They had a tradition of Yahweh, but to them, their God was an ancestral memory. They had not seen him move that we have seen recorded in over, in about 400 years. They had not worshipped him as a free people in many generations. In fact, the reason they ended up there was that their patriarch Joseph was sold into slavery and that their family was the victims of a famine. They had not received the fresh word that is recorded for that whole span of time. They had no prophets. They, they had no temple. They had, as a result, no faith. Which meant that if God was going to break them free, that God and Moses would have to do it all by themselves. Moses appears from 40 years in exile in the wilderness, and he wasn't the only MIA returning to them because they had struggled now to believe this fantastic claim that their absent God had decided to return. And I'm sure they had questions, why now? After all these years, he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the God of our ancestors, but we are just slaves now. It didn't make for a very compelling story. The forgotten prince claiming to represent a somewhat forgotten king. History is not kind to those who were living in Goshen at the time of the Exodus as only two of them out of the millions, were allowed to enter into the promised land. They had no faith anything would change. In fact, we find that they had actual fear that it would. They were bound, and the worst part is that they were okay with it. The fear, the fear of freedom was worse than the pain of bondage. Freedom meant that they would have to give up what they had even though they were being promised so much more. The gods of Egypt had them under their control. Now, you may have never thought of it this way, but Moses, led by God, started a cosmic spiritual battle. 
It was to be one of the most visible demonstrations of spiritual warfare in all of history. The ten plagues descended upon Egypt with such harshness and severity that it rocked the demonic world all the way to their foundations, and we still talk of them today, thousands of years later. The ten plagues of Egypt corresponded to the ten ancient Egyptian gods and goddesses that were prevailing deities of their day. And they had to be defeated before the people could be set free. You see, in Bible numerology, the number 10 represents a fullness of quantity. 10 coins or 10 virgins or 10 lepers and 10 commandments. You see, 10 means complete. 10 Egyptian plagues means completely plagued. The plagues were not just random nuisances that were concocted uh, to display God's power. It was spiritual warfare. You see, God was defeating the ten deities that the Egyptians worshipped. And, and, and actually, the children of Israel had seen these deities much more than they'd seen their own gods. And so these deities had control over his people. Moses announced each plague before it came. It was as if he was telegraphing his punches in this cosmic slugfest. And then when the Egyptian priests knew what was coming, they tried to counterpunch by calling upon the corresponding deities to resist these plagues, but they were powerless to stop them. The first plague was an attack against the Egyptian god Hapi. He was the god of the Nile, and it was the water bearer. And so the first plague turned the water into blood. Then it was the Egyptian goddess of fertility, and so that god had the head of a frog, and so out of the Nile came frogs. Geb was the Egyptian god of the earth and, and covered the dust of the earth, and so the plague was lice from the dust of the earth, and so on. And it went all the way down to Isis, who was the sixth plague. It was the Egyptian goddess of medicine and peace, and ashes turned to boils and sores. And then Nut, the Egyptian goddess of the sky, hail rained down in the form of fire. And, and then the, the Seth, the Egyptian goddess of storms and disorders, locusts came from the sky. And then it was Ra, the sun god. It was getting ever more higher in their ranking of, of theology in, in, in Egypt. Egypt, and it was three days of complete darkness. All their crops were destroyed. Their trees were reduced to ashes. The fish of the river decaying in the hot sun. And the livestock was rotting in the fields. And because the tenth god was Pharaoh himself, he did not want to surrender. His, his counselors and even his religious leaders were begging him. The advisors were telling him, you've got to surrender because their God is the real God, and he's, he's able to defeat all of our gods, but Pharaoh didn't want to give in, and so Pharaoh was the tenth God, the ultimate power of Egypt, and the plague was the death of the firstborn. It was an unmistakable spiritual challenge to the God that sat on the throne of Egypt. You see, it was our God against your God. One by one, all of their revered deities, were they rose up to fight, and one by one, they were all defeated by our superior God. 
Hallelujah. Everyone knew, everyone knew, the common knew, the criminal knew, the faith-depleted Israelites knew. Pharaoh knew that our God was the real God. But you see, faith doesn't come by seeing, it comes by believing. God delivered them by the supernatural act of parting the Red Sea and their tormentors would never afflict them again. There were many miracles, but let me jump to the chase right here that the children of Israel just didn't get it. And so God told them, he said, I'm going to live among you. I'm going to live among them and I want you to build this ark. It was to be built by two of the exacting instructions from God himself and And if you've ever seen a a life-size replica of this ark, it is not a small thing. It is actually rather large when you consider that it was meant to be mobile, that it was to be carried from place to place. The exact dimensions are debated, but it is somewhere between 51 inches by 31 inches by 31 inches, and maybe down to about four feet or so. It, it, it fluctuates a couple inches here or there. But the thing is, it was covered by gold inside and out. At the bottom, there were solid gold feet. And on the side, on the feet, were solid gold rings. And through those rings, staves were passed that were plated in solid gold. And then the lid of this box was the mercy seat. And it was also solid gold. The Bible said God instructed them it needed to be hammered gold and so it probably had the small little indentions of the hammer blow on the lid and it was bordered by another layer of gold around the top and and then out of the mercy seat welded together to make one piece were the twin angels if you know anything about gold it's not just valuable it's heavy it's heavy The ark was heavy. It was built with a very hard wood, acacia, overlaid by gold, and inside were the tablets of the law, which were on stone. Estimates vary, but I think it would be safe to say it was at least 700 pounds. It was about the weight of a a piano. And that's not all that interesting, except what was the final instruction that God handed down was that it had to be carried on the shoulders of the priests. In fact, he told these priests, don't put it on a cart. The reason he said don't put it on a cart was because he knew that as they wandered through life and through the wilderness and going into battle, And the hot sun baking them and and thirst coming and the dry wind and the weariness that comes along with this. He knew that there would be a temptation for them to put it on a cart. You see, I don't believe it was simple rebellion which caused them to put it on a cart several times because it was simply logical. It was logical. It was heavy. Each priest, if our calculations are are right, had to carry at the very minimum about 150 pounds. 
That's a lot of weight to be carrying around on uncertain ground in the wilderness. But God isn't a God that loves wearing out his people. Is there anybody here that can testify to the fact that my God cares about you? I want you to know that living for the devil will wear you out far worse than living for God. Can I get a witness? There's not one of you that's going to go home after this and going to be hungover. There's not one of you here that's going to come out of here and you're going to be filled with regrets of what just happened. Hallelujah. You are here to be encouraged. You are here to be lifted up. The words that come across this pulpit are to edify you and build you up. Hallelujah. And so your relationship with God is always like this and it's not like this. Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 30. God is introducing this whole thing to his his children who are now out of bondage and they're they're coming into their new life and this is he's telling them verse 30 the lord your god which goeth before you he shall fight for you according to all that he did for you in egypt before your eyes he's reminding them i did all of that by myself not one of you had to lift a finger not one of you had to fight Not one of you had to bloody your spear or or notch an arrow. Not one of you were asked to get into harm's way. You see, I did it all by myself. And then verse 31, and in the wilderness where thou hast seen how that the Lord thy God bare thee as a man doth bear his son. You got the picture? A little child in the arms of a big burly man walking down a dusty path. That little child is patting the shoulder of his daddy. And he's saying, my daddy's got me. I don't have to fight all this by myself. I've got, I've got my daddy and his arms are a lot stronger than my arms. In all the way that you went until you came into this place. And so God was saying, I did all the heavy lifting to get you here. I broke you out of bondage. I did that while you watched. But now he's saying, build me an ark. And carry me because I carried you. Amen. Matthew Matthew 11, 29. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Carry me. And learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find what? Rest. Rest. Unto your soul's. And then he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so it seems like a contradiction that God is saying, I want you to build me an ark that you have to carry. And I'll live in that ark. I'll abide in that ark. And it's heavy. But then Jesus is saying, whatever you carry of mine is easy. It's light. You know, God's spirit is a burden that is not heavy. It is not like the burdens the world puts on you. Nazi Germany, according to history, was the most recent military trying to find the ark and unlock its secrets. Because the Bible records that this was a terrifying war machine. That voices spoke out of it. That 
that it shot brilliant lights out, sounds like laser attacks that would, that would go out from this ark and would defeat hosts of enemies while the children of Israel just simply walked behind this, this ultimate weapon. But it was undeniably heavy. A solid gold piece that was 51 inches by 31 inches of some unknown depth is very heavy. The solid gold mercy was heavy. The angelic presence was heavy. In studying this, people have tried to dumb down the weight of this. They've, they've actually calculated what it would be and said there's no way a man could carry it. So they said, well, then we must have had the measurements of a cubit off. Maybe that, that cubit was not what we thought it was. And then some said, well, maybe it wasn't pure gold, so it wasn't as Heavy. No, let me just help you out here. It was exactly what it was, and it was heavy. Men could not have carried it on their shoulders for very long. You see, God designed it impossible for man to carry, and then he said, carry it. Our minds go to Samson. Samson was an ordinary man of ordinary strength until the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Isn't that right? And when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, he was empowered to do things that, that no normal man could do. And he carried heavy burdens with ease. There was one instance that he went to the gates of a large city, and he just ripped those fortified gates right off of their hinges, and he put them above his head, and he walked many miles with those very heavy gates that were probably weighing Thousands of pounds. Where did he get that strength? Was it in his muscles or was it in his anointing? Amen. You see, when Delilah cut his hair, which negated his Nazarite vow, he was of normal strength and he was not able to do the feats of strength that he was able to do with the Spirit of God upon him. And when the Lord had departed from him, the glory of God departed, he became weak again. You see, Samson, it's not by might nor by power, but it's by my Spirit, saith the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. You see, it wasn't the weight of the gate that mattered. That was inconsequential because... It was the Spirit of God that made all the difference. That is the one calculation that our world can just never seem to get right. We know how strong we are, but the world doesn't have any idea how strong he is. And they don't realize that my God empowers his people. God is trying to show us something with this. Let's read and pay attention to the wording of Numbers chapter 10 and verse 33. Talking about the ark and the movement of the children of Israel. Watch how this happens. And they departed from the mount of the Lord three days journey. And the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them in the three days. In this journey, the ark went out ahead of them to search out a resting place for them. Now, it doesn't sound very logical that you would send the scouting party with the heaviest piece of furniture in the camp. You think that they would say, go travel light and go find us a place and then we'll come behind you because it's unfamiliar territory. 
That's not how God did it. And the Lord, the, the cloud of the Lord was upon them by day. And when they went out of the camp and it came to pass, watch this, watch the wording. And it came to pass when the ark set forward that Moses said, rise up, Lord, and let thine enemies be scattered and let them that hate thee flee before thee. And then look at this. After he told it to rise up three days later, and when it rested. He said, oh, return, return, O Lord, unto the many thousands of Israel. Rise up, Lord. Shouldn't he have said, okay, priest, it's time to pick it up and move. It's time to pick up this very heavy burden, put it on your shoulders, and go find us a place. That's not how he said it. You see, he spoke to the ark. He didn't speak to the priest. You see, when the spirit of the Lord was their guide, the cloud moved, then Moses moved, the arks, the, the cloud stayed, they stayed. And so what was happening here? The ark was moving. And then the cloud went with it. And then the people followed behind. It wasn't the opposite. Amen. Someone here needs to see that living for God doesn't have to be a burden. If living for God is a burden, let me gently say you're doing it wrong. Because if living for God is your greatest burden in life, you need to discover your joy again. You need to find out that my God is able to carry you through all the things in life. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. I, I like going into Walmart and being the guy with the biggest smile on my face. I'm not the one burdened down with the holiness that I have to, that I have to live and, and, and the things that, no, man, I've got to go to church again. I've got to do this. And there's too many people that call themselves Pentecostals and they're wandering around Walmart with a frown on their face. When reality, we ought to be walking around with the lightest step. We ought to have, we ought to have a little bounce in our step. We ought to be saying, my God, hallelujah, he helps me. I'm not in this alone. I'm not fighting this battle alone. Hallelujah. If I hold my peace, the Lord will fight my battles. Look at Isaiah 46. God compares the heaviness of their gods to the lightness of himself. Watch this. Isaiah 46, verse 1. Baal boweth down. Nebo stoopeth. Their idols were upon the beasts and upon the cattle. Their, your carriages were heavy loaden. They were a burden to the weary beast. They stooped, they bowed down together. They could not deliver their burden. It was so heavy they couldn't even get where they were going. But themselves are gone into captivity. Hearken unto me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, which are what? Their gods are so heavy they can't even get them point A to point B. However, look at me. You are born by me. Not born, but born by me. From the belly which are carried from the womb. And even to your old age I am he. And even to the whore's hair, the gray hair, will I carry you. <laughs> I have made and I will bear. Even I will carry and will deliver you. To whom will you liken me? I ain't like all them other gods. I'm not equal to any of them out there. And while they're a burden, I'm not. Why? Because I'm actually carrying you. And here's a revelation, 1 Samuel chapter 4. We find that the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant from Israel. 
And the high priest Eli died. His two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they both died. The wife of Phinehas went into labor. And she too died. With her last breath, she named her son Ichabod. Because the glory hath departed from Israel. Because the ark of God had been captured and taken away. And you see, the ark was gone, but life went on. They still had a high priest. They still had a temple. They still read the scriptures. They still sang the songs about God. They still gave the tithes, the offerings. They still all did all that they did before. But they didn't have the glory of God. The presence was gone. Can, can, can I get some help? presence was gone and they learned to live without it but you see after a while carrying that became a burden they still had their traditions what do we got 90 plus what's the bar 42 is that heavy it will be in 10 minutes, he said. It ain't heavy for me. Look, it don't even touch my shoulder. I'm good. You can put it down. They still had their traditions. They still had their rituals. They still had their religion. But they didn't have the ark. Don't go too far, guys. Going to need you again. But you see, David remembered what it used to be like. Back when we had the ark, and David remembered the presence of God. He remembered the glory of God. He remembered that mystery behind the veil in the tabernacle. And, and when he went into that tabernacle, into the holy place, and, and behind there was the holy of holies, his, his skin would just crackle with the electricity that came from behind that holy, hallelujah, that, 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 that veil that was there. And all he could think about was the Spirit of God used to be there, but it's not there anymore and he missed it the sad thing is that it didn't seem like anybody else missed it and David wanted the ark back in the tabernacle he was tired of doing all that he did without the spirit of God you see they had learned to do everything without the ark and without the glory and so all they had was religion Religion. They still went to church. Oh. Well, I went Sunday morning. You mean I got I got to do this again Sunday night? Oh. Woo. One more week done. Can't wait to get to the house, sit in my easy chair. I mean, y'all quiet. You mean I got to give my tithes? I did it one more time. 
no. Pastor, did you call up another prayer meeting? Are you serious? Really? Okay. I'll do my religious duty. Wednesday night, too? Pastor, my back's out. I don't think I'm coming Wednesday night. I, I think you ought, to, you ought to understand. You're putting a lot on us. Man, this is getting heavy. See what I'm getting at? They still went to church. And they began to replace the presence of God with just more, more things of man, more motions of man, more traditions, more rituals, more, more, more whatever, just, just more of man. And you see, religion is man's attempt to get to God, and you don't get to God by man's attempt. No man comes to the Father, but what? The Spirit draw him. You can't just have the word of God. You've got to have the spirit too. For the letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. And if all you're doing, if all you have is the Bible, at some point, you're going to come up with the understanding, which is purely logical, that it's too heavy for me to do it on my own. And you would be right. You see, it was never intended for you to carry it alone. And so David sends for it. He sends the priests. And no one knows how to do this any longer. If I could get you guys out today, right now, you're going to be priests. And they get out here and they, they're so excited. We get the ark back. Yeah. This is incredible. And they lean down to give it a test. And they're shocked to see how heavy it was. Living for God is supposed to be easy. What is this? I think we got, I, I think somebody punked us. I don't even really think this is the real art. Nobody can carry this thing. And they're saying, well, we got to get it, to, we got to get it home. I don't know what the conversation was, but they ended up putting it on a cart. I wouldn't doubt that some of them said, well, how did it get here in the first place? And they said, well, the Philistines sent it over on a cart. That makes sense. This thing's heavy. Put it down, guys. That's too heavy. Put it on a cart. And so they put it on a cart. You know the story. And as you, you can put it down. I know you're loving this workout for, in church. And as it is traveling on the cart... It teeters. Now, the design of this was top heavy. All of the weight was at the top. And so logically, here we go again, Uzziah is sitting beside that thing, having become familiar with it, realizing this thing is too heavy. <laughs> and now it's on a cart and it just, the oxen stumbled. So he reaches out his hand and God kills him. And David is angry. And David says, why why did you kill him? We're just trying 
to do what you asked us to do. Number one, it's too heavy. Number two, you're killing people. Don't sound like this is a very friendly religion to me. But there was something missing in the equation. And so David said, put it somewhere. We got to give this some time to figure it out. It's heavy. It's a burden we can't carry. But God said, you have to carry it. And so since compromise is out of the question, we've got to figure out how to do this. Because God didn't put on you more than you can bear. And David prayed, David read, David researched. And he was saying, how can we get this from point A to point B? We can't put it on a cart and we can't carry it. This is a conundrum. And David finally gets it. And he said in his heart, I know the secret. I know what we're missing. If we can't do it and we can't put it on a cart, then maybe... He needs to help us. Why in the world did it take so long to get to that conclusion? Because God already told them ahead of time, I have carried you. I have been with you. I have fought your battles. I sent you manna from heaven. You didn't have to work for that food. You didn't have to find, you didn't have to dig a well. I let that rock follow you in the wilderness. You had all the water. Your clothes didn't wear out. Your shoes didn't wear out. Why in the world would it be surprising that my God can help you with this too? He was saying, wait a minute, we're doing all of this in the flesh. You can't do what you need to do in the spirit in the flesh. You will wear yourself out. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Are you all with me? David said, we just need some supernatural help. Is that too much to ask? How many of you still believe in miracles? Yeah, we all believe in miracles because we know they happen. We've seen them happen. But do you believe God can help you with a miracle of getting you through the day? If all you can do for God if, if all you do for God without his presence is all you do, I want to let you know there's more you can do. <laughs> you might as well have stayed in Egypt if all you want to do is go through the motions of flesh. You see, people who have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof, the Bible says have nothing to do with them. Why? Because they're doing this all in the flesh. It's the arm of the flesh. It's trying to do what God wants you to do without including him in it. And David realizes we've, we've been doing all this in the flesh. We need, we need to realize, God, I can't even walk without you holding my hand. And so, God, you've got to take me to places I can't go on my own. You've got to show me things I can't see on my own. I've got to hear a word that I can't find on my own. You see, everything I need is beyond me. Everything I need is just beyond the veil into the supernatural. I've got to have you. 
You see, the ark was built to house the glory of God. So here is the question. How do I get the glory of the Lord back in this thing? It's heavy. Everybody say amen. So David changed his methods. He stopped thinking religiously. In fact, there were people who even called him a fool because of it. And he began to focus instead upon the glory. In other words, how do I fill the ark? Instead of, instead of how do I lift it, how do I fill it? Because the secret is not in your motions. The secret is in being filled. And so let's look at it. Let's look at the construction of the ark. And let's look how it was, how it was put together. God designed all of it. So there's, there's, a, there's something here that we need, to, we need to learn. In the bottom was the law, the tablets of the law. In the bottom was the bowl of manna. In the bottom was a section of Aaron's rod. And then... You go up, it's like another level, and it was the mercy seat. And then you go up another level, and it was the angels. But you see, that by itself didn't do it. There was something more that had to happen. Let's read it, Samuel, 2 Samuel, chapter 13. And it was so, when they that bear the ark had gone six paces, he sacrificed... Oxen and fatlings, six paces. So can you pick it up and just walk six paces? Now you've always, the Levites, you guys have always got to step your foot into that river before it parts, right? You're going to have to do something. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna feel that. It's going to bite into your shoulders for a little while. But you know what? You just keep taking a few steps, six paces, and then... Stop and put it down. And the Bible says that every six paces, David sacrificed. And if you look into some other, other texts, you find that the way they sacrificed was that they literally split the animal in half, long ways. And they put one side over here and one side over here. And David danced in the middle. He danced upon all of that blood and, and, and there were guts and whatnot and David danced before the Lord with all his might and David was girded with a linen and ephod so that David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet and as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David Micah's Saul's daughter looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord and she despised him in her heart because the religious will never understand the ways of God. You can't. You can't come to God by your reason. You can't come to God by something that looks good to you. If, if, if all you want out of God is what fits into your box, you're not going to get his. You can put it down, guys. Put it down. Put it down. Amen. Hallelujah. My offering for preaching, I'll give to you guys after service. You're doing all the heavy lifting. But let me tell you, there's a secret here, and I, I'm, I'm wrapping this up. But from Obed-Edom's house to Mount Zion is between 12 to 15 kilometers. It's about 30,000 paces. 
And the Bible says that that means that David and the whole nation of Israel stopped and sacrificed every six steps. That's 3,500 sacrifices in one journey. And by the time he got to the city of David, he, he had danced out of his clothes and he was just wearing his ephod. And he was covered in blood. And his wife looked at him and despised him and said, I don't ever want to be a part of that. I, I, I don't want to. I, don't, I would never do that. I, I'm so regal and I'm so professional and I, I'm, I'm royalty. How dare you try to get me to be like you? We've got to stop trying to do all the heavy lifting on our own. Let me tell you what happened. David got all the musicians and singers together. And he said, you know what? He said, whatever I have to do to get the glory back, I'm just going to do it. If I've got to sacrifice 3,500 times in one trip, I'm going to do it. If I've got to sing and I've got to dance until I feel like passing out, I'm going to do it because the glory is worth it. The presence of God is worth it. I don't know about you, but I'm tired. Our world is tired. Our world is in a mess right now. Our world doesn't need just another church. Our world doesn't need just another religion. Our world has got to have somebody that's willing to pay the price. Are you willing to get... Why are you doing that, David? Well, because... The presence of God inhabits the praises of his people. And I know that what I need is his presence. I can't keep doing this. God told me I had to. And I can't keep doing it all by myself. And so what I've got to do, I've got to get the glory back. And so the singers sang, the musicians played, the dancers danced, and they sacrificed. And something happened. I want you to know something happened in that box. It was like blue ribbons of electricity started crackling between the wings. And the more they worshiped, the more they praised, the more current began to build. But do you know when it really began to happen? Is after that sacrifice. Do you know what they did with the ark? The mercy seat was the place they would sprinkle the blood. They would sprinkle it on the mercy seat and the angel's wing. And the glory filled the box. And then hovered over the mercy seat. Between the angelic prison, the angelic world began to move. Hallelujah. Praise God. There is so much available to a child of God if only we understood. That sparkle of aura over the mercy seat was now a full-on glory cloud. And when the Levites put those staves through the gold rings, they were prepared to lift with all their might. They knew how heavy this was. They just walked six steps with it, but they were surprised. Hallelujah. Somebody say, rise up, Lord. Rise up, Lord. Those cherubs' wings weren't there just for looks. Hallelujah. There was an uplift floating on the glory cloud beneath them. Hallelujah. And as they praised and as they sacrificed and as they began to sprinkle some blood over that mercy seat and over the wings of those angels, the same power that parted the Red Sea, the same power that destroyed the ten gods of Egypt, the same power, hallelujah, that brought them to where they were began to work inside that thing. Hallelujah. 
The priests were the first to notice. Something as heavy as a piano on their shoulders, but God began to help them. Do you know it's in the Word of God and I never saw it before? It's here. First Chronicles chapter 15, verse 25, look what it says. So David and the elders of Israel and the captains over thousands went to bring the Ark of the Covenant. This is another telling of it. Of the Lord out of the house of Obed-Edom with joy. And it came to pass. Look what it says. Where's that verse? You guys see this. This is the, this is the whole thing. Amen. First Chronicles chapter 15, verse 26. And it came to pass when God helped the Levites that bear the Ark of the Covenant. In other words, they were used to seeing them do this. Man, this thing's heavy. Man, I don't know how long I can carry this. The Bible says, though, that when God helped the Levites that bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, that they offered seven bullocks and seven rams. In other words, it's working. It's working. I don't have to do this all by myself. I want you to know what happened was that when they sacrificed, listen, it always requires a sacrifice. If you want fire to fall from heaven, it requires a sacrifice. You've got to give him the sacrifice of praise. Do you know what the blood represents? The blood represents that flesh had to die. Hallelujah. If you want the presence of God, the flesh has got to die. Your problem and my problem is not the world. It's not the devil. It's our flesh. If we can ever... Hallelujah. Paul said, you've got to die daily. You've got to die every single day. Jesus said, you've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up my cross. And you've got to follow me. You've got to die yourself. What this world is looking for is a church that has a glory cloud in it. And it's not going to become, I love music. Y'all have great music. It's not going to become because of that. We've got, you've got one of the greatest preachers in all of the Pentecostal world. Hallelujah. But if you yourselves don't buy into the fact that I have to sacrifice, that my flesh has got to die, that my flesh is the obstacle. Hallelujah. The problem is that we get it backwards. We think, well, it's heavy. So all I need is more flesh. More organization. I've got to have more, more this and more that. And more rituals and more. All you've got to do is more, more, more flesh. No, that's not it. You've got to. Are you guys getting this? <laughs> Hallelujah. And we've got to die out to ourself. Hallelujah. Music, you can come. God wants to take you places, church. How many of you believe that God wants to, I'm going to say it this way, give you a new building? And there's somebody here, I know what you're thinking. New building? Gonna be some heavy lifting around here. Amen. 
Uh-uh. You know what you do? You just do what you can do. You just stay faithful. And here's what happens. The flesh dies. This is a church. We're not all about personalities. We're not up here trying to be famous. We're not jockeying for positions of power. We're not bragging. We're not putting anybody else down in anybody else's church. It ain't about that. It's just about, Lord, I want to die out today, and I want to serve you. I just, I just, I just want to serve you. I want to serve you. I, w- I want to be a servant. I need to sacrifice myself. And when you do, you reach down and the angelic presence comes. And you can't see them. But man, the glory. Bring back the glory. And I'm like, wow. I shouldn't have been able I, I shouldn't have been able to do that. I shouldn't have been able to lift this. Because little or smaller loads defeated me. How in the world did this church get that done? How did we get a 10 million dollar piece of property in a building? I don't know, I'm just throwing stuff out. The reason is is because God wants you to know, I I am your partner. And God says, I don't intend for you to do all the heavy lifting on your own. If you will just be a people. Say, I sacrificed myself and my family. I put myself on the altar. And you can't see them. But that sacrifice, that blood sprinkled on the mercy seat. You see, it's the law, it's mercy, it's angels, it's blood, it's glory. Bring the glory. Bring the glory. Bring the glory. There's somebody here, you've been going through life and you got a burden. It's okay, the Lord said, come to me, all you that are heavy laden. And I'll give you rest. I'll help you. All you have to do is die. All you have to do is sacrifice my life for yours.
presence of God. <laughs> That's the glory of God. He's here to lift that burden right off of you. Not my will, thine be 